Hello and welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Porch, the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute. I hope you're all in fine fettle today and ready for another dose of elite performance insight. Today, that comes in the form of Javar Gillette, the Director of Athletic Performance at the NBA's Houston Rockets. Javar's reputation precedes him, and I was delighted to be introduced by a friend of leaders, Brian Jordan, who's the technical manager of the NSF Certified for Sport program. Brian felt that Javar was just the man to speak to, and he certainly wasn't wrong. Javar has 20 seasons of experience in elite sport, which takes it a 14-year spell with the Detroit Tigers before he headed south to take up a position with the Rockets six years ago. It's all a far cry from his first informal SNC role back in college, where Javar's friends on the football team remunerated him with a crate of beer. While that might sound pretty cool to most of us, he's definitely gone on to bigger and better things in the intervening period. We cover those at the top of our chat before delving into some of the different challenges that baseball and basketball have thrown up. There are notable differences, but also some considerable commonalities as you might expect. We also look at the world of supplements and how NSF has been of immeasurable help in enabling Javar to educate and inform athletes about their supplement usage. Oh, and by the way, Javar and his co-writer Bill Burgos are on the verge of releasing a new book called Strength Training for Basketball. It was developed with the expertise of the National Strength and Conditioning Association and runs through how an SNC in basketball designs resistance training programs that develop athlete strength out on the court. So we're talking about helping them to jump higher, accelerate faster and abruptly change direction. It's available from Human Kinetics and includes a foreword from the great Patrick Ewing and is already available online for pre-order at the usual places. But to whet your appetite for that, here is my chat with Javar. Oh, and don't forget to visit our content hub at leadersinsport.com forward slash performance for best practice insights across leadership and culture, coaching and development, human performance, and data and innovation. Right, now on with the show. Javar, welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast. Um, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to, to be with you. Perhaps we can kick things off by delving into your career so far. A career that has taken you from Major League Baseball's Detroit Tigers to the NBA's Houston Rockets. Yeah, so this is this marks my 20th season in professional sports. I'm extremely grateful for that time. And, and really, over those 20 years, it's only been with two clubs. So uh, one in baseball and one in basketball. And it's just allowed me to uh, gain some valuable experience, establish some great relationships, have an impact because you, you're allowed the time to build a program and, and uh, that's operating, you know, at its fullest capacity. So started out right out of college. I went to DePauw University, D-E-P-A-U-W. That's a small private school in Indiana. From there, they allowed you to do internships during the, the school, you know, at, at certain parts um, throughout the school year. Uh, you were allowed to go off campus and do some internships. So I ended up going to Penn State University uh, as a marketing intern in their sports marketing department, and then found uh, found strength and conditioning there. Uh, it was at their basketball center that you know we were working in, and I just because I played baseball in college, I wanted to continue to learn what some of these athletes were doing in their training. So I went down there, and at the time, I it was early on where I had no idea that strength and conditioning was even a profession. And I, I went down there and I observed some of these strength and conditioning coaches put their uh, basketball players through uh, a workout and I just fell in love with it. So I brought the program back to DePaw and started taking some of our football players through uh, the program at the time it was high intensity training. So uh, I just had a great time training some of my friends 
I don't even want to uh, tell you what uh, they were paying me to do this, but I will anyways. It was a case of beer uh, that they would pay me <laughs> <laughs> to do, uh, to take them through and keep them in shape and get them ready for the uh, upcoming football season. So it was actually kind of fun, but uh, that's where it all started. Fell in love with it and then just locked in, switched my major and dedicated myself to you know learning more about strength and conditioning, exercise physiology. So that's where it all started in the beginning and you're grinding it out through internships uh, i had various internships at the college level and professional level uh and then i got a full-time job with uh the detroit tigers so uh, 14 years with the detroit tigers and this is my sixth year with the uh, houston rockets so it's been a great ride it sounds a lot like fun particularly with the football players at DePaul. but if we focus on those 14 years at the detroit tigers for a moment what were some of your biggest challenges and greatest successes both on and off the field? Uh, well, I mean, I think the strength, the head strength conditioning coach for 10 years, and over those 10 years, I think the biggest success was just working together with two other strength and conditioning coaches that were my assistants and establishing uh, just a top-notch program over those 10 years, you know, so it takes time to grow, but I give a lot of credit to Steve Chase and Chris Walter, uh, two of, uh, who are still there. Um, but they, us together, you know, there's power in numbers. Us together, we created a great program. I think in the end, for me, you know, we were trying to change the game and, and do a lot of, uh, you know, at that time, sports science was just becoming a topic of conversation. And we were doing a lot of advanced stuff, uh, integrating some technology and things like that. And I think we were just a little bit ahead of our time. So we were trying to sell it to the front office, sell it to coaches and things like that and and just because it was fairly new uh, you know you're either proactive or you're reactive and I think we were trying to be proactive uh, at the time and you know integrating all these accelerometers and things like that at the time was uh you know we were doing it and so I think the biggest challenge was just uh, buy-in at the time you know so now it's just, you know, you're, you know, every team has some sort of load monitoring uh, system and, and, you know, we were, we were playing around with those things way back when. So uh, just trying to find ways to use them and, and have it be effective. One thing to have the technology, but are you using it in an effective way? Are you applying it? Uh, are the players seeing the value in it? Uh, so I think that was the biggest challenge. And, uh, you know, and one of the reasons that I decided to look for other opportunities just to dive more into the sports science uh, and that's what brought me to the Houston Rockets. As you've dived more into sports science during your six years at the Houston Rockets, how have the challenges you face evolved and what have been some of the successes you've enjoyed both on and off the court? One of the greatest successes uh, I guess you would say is just to come in coming from baseball you know you're crossing over to sports just you know it takes I don't, even if you're just switching teams in the same sport, it takes time to build that player trust and buy-in. So, uh, you know, I think that first year, just, you know, establishing relationships with the players, but in the end, that player trust and buy-in uh, is always a, a great success with, you know, with the Tigers and with the Houston Rockets. We are trying to give them the best possible environment to uh, maximize their performance. So uh, using this technology and, and integrating sports science is, is not just meant to collect data to send up to the front office and or, or to use against them. Uh, so um, really just for their trust and buy-in to understand that we are trying to use information as best we can uh, to make better decisions that will help you as the athlete. So to give them or, or to give me their, their trust and allow me to do what I do and, and what I think is best 
has been uh, a great success. As far as the challenges, there's a lot of different challenges. I think, you know, for right now, just in the NBA, for the athlete and, and the front office and, and really everybody to truly understand how much of an impact the weight room and strength and conditioning can have on the performance of the player on the court, how much transfer it can have on the court. I think that buy-in, the value uh, of the strength and conditioning coach, I think uh, that, uh, you know, for the most part, basketball players just want to get out there on the court and play. They do enough conditioning on the court, so why do they need to do extra conditioning? Um, why do we do things post-game? You know, so really the challenge has been to, to really educate the front office, educate the players on why we're doing the things we're doing and how it transfers out onto the court. As understanding of the importance of the physical grows, so does the appreciation of nutrition and refueling. So, Javar, I want to ask you about the ways that players use supplements. Now, you've worked across two of the biggest professional sports leagues in the world for two decades, and you're very well placed to note some of the differences in the ways that baseball players and basketball players use supplements. Can you perhaps highlight some of those differences for us? Just in my experiences, I think baseball, shoot, we, you know, we had the minor leagues, of course, so you have over 160 players, but... Uh, we were, our budget for supplement use was uh, extremely high. And, uh, you know, one of the things we spent the most money on was uh, ready to drink protein shakes, uh, EAS, muscle milk, things like that, uh, Cytosport. So um, I think because the time spent at work is so much higher in uh, baseball, I think guys were using protein supplements a lot because they were just, they knew they had to eat, but they didn't want to just keep snacking and, and eating the, the terrible food that was in the clubhouses. And so they were really into the supplements because they were trying, you know, they didn't want to gain, you know, body fat and, uh, you know, things like that. So they were really into the supplements and how it could help them um, prior to and after a game. It's not necessarily the case in basketball. You know, these guys aren't, a lot of the players aren't, really searching to grab a protein shake and things like that. We actually have to kind of suggest those times, you know, is it post game that they have, uh, you know, a recovery drink, things like that. So we're kind of guiding them a little bit more, whereas a baseball player I think was a lot more uh, into it and, and had his timing and routine down uh, because for the most part, they were, uh, you know, spending a lot of hours at work. Javad, let's kick off part two with a deeper look at the education piece around supplements. How will you work with NSF to guide your players towards making the right supplement choices for optimizing their performance? Yeah, so NSF, well, first of all, I mean, whether it be with the Tigers or the uh, Rockets, I mean, it's always been a food first approach. I mean, it's just educating them on, on uh, food time, using our dietitian uh, here with the Rockets, Tara uh, Boning does a great job at educating and really providing a, a optimal environment for these guys in the cafeteria so you know the food first approach has really been helpful but then from nsf nsf really i brought that over from baseball so over the course of the years in baseball you know obviously they became more stringent in, in testing and uh, the avoidance of performance enhancing substances so in that instance uh, they brought in nsf to be it was pretty much mandated throughout the league that that you could only provide the organization could only provide and suggest supplements that are approved by NSF. NBA doesn't necessarily require that, but I took that policy over to the NBA, uh, to my team 
and we operate under that policy. Just really, you know, you, to look at it twofold. I want to protect the athlete, but I also need to protect my butt and, and my uh, and my staff. So, in the organization, so there's an obligation there, you know, to to protect the player uh, and then the organization. So. That's the key with NSF. Uh, we provide only NSF certified supplements. We recommend only NSF certified supplements. Obviously, they have the app that we can, um, we, you know, we'll put on the phone of all the players. Uh, if they have any questions, our dietitian Tara will uh, direct them appropriately. But you know, we want to take every precaution uh, necessary so that because it's it's really a lot of these cases. You know, a guy goes into a supplement shop and you know buys a product that he thinks is okay, and then all of a sudden. Um, he's testing positive for a banned substance, so we don't want that to happen. And our, our players have been really uh, cooperative and, and great uh, when it comes to uh, the buy-in uh, within that program. So it's it's really NSF has really helped us educate the players more, just because it's the topic of conversation, and they're looking more closely at the labels of what they're taking, why they're taking it. So it's really been a, a positive thing. That must make both your job and that of Tara Boning, your dietitian at the Rockets, so much easier. And speaking of your work, as a long-time strength and conditioning professional, where do you see things headed in the years to come? Well, I, I think it's going to come full circle, to be honest with you, um, just as a lot of things do. I, I really, to be honest, I don't think in, in the NBA setting, uh, load monitoring, all that, I'm going to go on a limb and say I, I think we've, we've started to get to the point where we're not pushing guys enough, so injuries that are occurring are preventable. Um, and it's not that they're taking on too much load. It's that they haven't taken on enough load so that they can't tolerate the loads that are being placed on them, um, you know, in live play. So I think uh, we're going to realize that soon. It's, it's going to be something that, we, you know, we got to, you know, prepare these guys a little bit better for the upcoming season. And then in season, how can we make sure that we progress properly, manage and monitor load, but then, also with the mindset of we have to increase their threshold so that they're uh, more resistant to fatigue uh, and that, you know, we're going to give them the best chance to avoid injury. So I think it'll come full circle. I think the threshold for fatigue and pain are lower now in today's uh, athlete. And I think we're kind of enabling that. So uh, we really got to use this load monitoring to not only take away, but also put in. And uh, I think that's where uh, we're going to head with that. Um, but as far as the high performance role, I think that's the big topic now is, is how to integrate a high performance role uh, within teams, um, how to bridge a gap between medical and uh, performance. And I think in, in my mind, it's, it's a cooperative approach. Uh, you have two departments that can work very closely together, but those two departments also have distinct differences. And how do we uh, bridge the gap, but at the same time, make sure that one is not negatively affecting the other uh, as far as productivity goes. So as far as the high performance role, uh, I think, you know, obviously we'll, we've seen that. And I think that'll continue to be a hot topic, especially at the university level. Uh, they're starting to add them. So, you know, I think I think we're heading in the right direction. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm real excited about the future of strength and conditioning, the future of, uh, you know, performance. and uh, you know, and, and as far as our expertise, I, you know, the one thing is that we we definitely need to find a way to uh, add to our credibility regarding certification. Uh, I think that's limiting us. The people that hire us, they do not know what to look for. 
and so we need to, you know, somehow create a more distinct. I know the NSCA has done it uh, with their RSCC, um, but what can we do as a profession to help, uh, similar to, to physical therapists, physiotherapists, to solidify our uh, expertise uh, in the field? Well, it sounds like there are plenty of opportunities there and ways for athletes to optimize their performance in the years ahead. And on that note, what advice would you give those entering the strength and conditioning profession? Any tips or tricks you can share with them at the start of their careers? Yeah, the, ex- the experiences help. I mean, you're, you got to grind it out. You got to learn how to grind it out uh, early on, put in the time, put in the hours. I think, you know, our, especially with social media nowadays, uh, you know, everyone's thinking that they're just going to gain success by posting stuff on social media and establishing relationships. And, but you really got to learn to grind it out and put in the hours, put in time uh, through internships. Uh, try to do it while you're in school. That way, when you do leave after graduation, you know, you have some stuff you can put on your resume that, you know, can help you get that full-time gig fairly quickly. But advanced degrees now are, are a must. So master's, PhDs. So if you're young, you you know, try to work through those and get them in and out of the way. Uh, I think just the combination of the experience and the education uh, is the first step. Uh, and, and then, you know, from there, about establishing relationships. But you have to have results as well. So if you want to work in the professional setting, how can you bridge a gap between relationships and getting results? You know, in our field, it's all about leadership, right? And you have two styles of leadership. You have results oriented and then you have relationships oriented. And I think the successful ones are, are able to, to bridge both of those, right? You, you're able to establish relationships, um, but you got to get results at the same time. And those that are able to bridge the two together and, and work somewhere in the middle, are the most successful um you know if you're doing yourself you're doing your athlete a disservice uh if you're just worried about relationships because you're never going to tell them the truth you know but if you're only worried about results you know then you know the player doesn't come in and do what you're supposed to do and then you're yelling at them and and uh the relationship never uh establishes there either so i think bridging the gap uh and and just you know, focusing your work on, you know, bridging the gap in those leadership styles is really the secret to success. Well said, Javar. Let's wrap things up there. Thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.